Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Thank you for joining us for our second episode of The Nuanced Life, everyone. We're so glad that you're back with us. And we are recording this when Thanksgiving is right out of, around the corner and the holiday season generally is coming up. So we thought we'd spend our focus time today on enduring awkward holiday conversation. <laughs> but before that, we'll begin as we always do with um, ideas or people or articles that we are currently obsessed with. And Sarah, I cannot wait to hear your perspective on yours today. So I listened to Super Soul Conversations. I always listen to Super Soul Conversations because Oprah is like my spirit animal. I love her so much. Uh, she basically raised me. So I'd listen and do anything she tells me to, too. Um, so she had a great conversation with Shonda Rhimes, who has a new book called The Year of Yes. And it's funny. Like, you expect to hear busy women teach you talk about like how to say no but Shonda took a year and said yes which kind of surprised me she had a lot of really um, awesome insights but was really interesting was to hear her and Oprah talk about marriage and Shonda was talking about how she finally realized during her year of yes that she really was saying no to marriage that she had no desire to be married um, and then Oprah shared her story about how she was in, we, we all know Stedman, Oprah's um, long-term partner, who they were engaged at one point. In fact, I think the news usually still calls him a fiancé, which I think is kind of funny. Like the media usually reports like Oprah's fiancé, Stedman Graham. Um, but he, they they were supposed to get married at one point and she was had a book coming out that didn't end up coming to fruition. He was like, I don't want to, my wedding to be all about people coming up and talking about your book. So she said, OK, let's just postpone it. And then they never rescheduled it. And she realized, like, it was really not something she wanted. She did not want to be married. And it was really interesting to hear both of them just say, like, that's not something I wanted. It, I'm I'm of two minds. One is I get it. I get it. Like, I get how in our current sort of, especially um, for a woman of Oprah's generation, that marriage in so many ways feels limiting and um feels like suddenly 
your position, your power, a lot of things are taken away from you and they're, they're really shifted. I totally get that. Um, it's not, I, I say pretty regularly that like, you know, I met my husband when I was 19 years old. I got married when I was 21. Like my life would be so different if I had had to go out in my 20s and sort of make my way without this partner um, in life. Or it would have been very different had I married some, um, somebody else who didn't treat me like an equal and supported me in whatever I wanted to pursue. Like that sort of partnership and relationship and marriage in particular changes everything. And at the same time, <laughs> I'm a little, I'm particularly skeptical with regards to Shonda Rhimes. Look, I don't know Shonda Rhimes, so it feels stupid to even comment on this. But, you know, it sort of reminds me of George Clooney. You know, George Clooney was like, like there's this famous story that Michelle Pfeiffer and Nicole Kidman bet him within like 20 years he'd be married and had kids. And if not, they'd give him $20,000. Now, he wasn't within those 10 years. And he was like, see, I told you, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to marry. And then he met the right woman and he got married. Now he has two babies. Like, I just think that that is... Easy to say in the abstract, but the right person comes along and it could really change the way you feel about it. I thought this conversation was fascinating in large part because I spend a fair amount of time and have some really lovely friendships with women who are at least five years, usually more than 10 years older than me. To a person, they all have a perspective on marriage, which is I really love my husband. I would not do this again to a person. And I don't know if wow, that... Wow, that's crazy. It's a, I mean, that's an unscientific survey. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe it's just the type of people that I attract in my life. But I think it is either indicative of a cultural moment that will come and go. There, there might be a time when marriage is in vogue again, right? Or... It is part of an evolutionary process where some of our old institutions don't make sense anymore. So there was a really great episode of Freakonomics that we'll link in the show notes where this researcher who is liberal and progressive had all this research that basically like kids are way worse off in a single parent household. Please don't send me angry mail. Neither her nor I want that to be true. But the data is there not to a person. It doesn't mean... Automatically, that's what happened. But there is a lot of good data that says kids do better in a two-parent household and a two-parent married household. Like this, the data in the United States is not even there should the par- partners both be in the house, but they not both be married. And it was really interesting to hear Stephen Dubner and this researcher talk about this. Now, first of all, we're talking about something different between marriage and marriage and having kids. But I think the kids part is an important part of it. And she was talking about how, you know, in the Netherlands, and I think there was a New York Times piece on this recently, like sort of in that area of the world, marriage has by and large been abandoned, but they don't have the bad statistics for the kids because there is, their society has shifted along with it. And their society has decided the most valuable relationships aren't married relationships. And there's just much more allowance for we were great in this time of our in the time in our life and now we have decoupled and now I'm with this and it's just not there is not the blame and the sense of failure you know all my friends who go through divorce say it is the absolute hardest thing they've ever been through even in like a quote unquote good divorce so i think part of this is i mean we kind of need to make up our minds as a culture like we either need to decide that we have that marriage is not valuable and 
let go of all the value we place on it. And as we, you know, as much as it pains me to say this, I led my wedding like this whole, you know, bridal vision and this is the most important day in your life. Like we cannot continue to send the same marriages about messages about the value of marriage to women in particular while simultaneously and increasingly not get not be getting married. You know what I mean? Like we just need like we either need to go the way the Netherlands and be like, okay, we see the importance of the the presence of these people in their children's lives and we also recognize that people change over the course of their lives and might not need the same lifetime partner or we need to like get back on track with marriage because I just think we're in this really weird spot where people aren't getting married, but we tell people that that's the most important thing. We tell people all kinds of crazy things about marriage. True. Certainly, if I were giving, you know, people younger than me advice, I would say, please do not get married in order to have a wedding. Mm. To your point, having a wedding, like throw yourself an awesome party. If you want to drop $30,000 on a great big party, do that. Send it to me. You're (laughs) worth it. Have your great big party. Have some beautiful photographs. It'll probably be a much less complicated party if you're not trying to make it a wedding. So go have that. Getting married, and this is why I had a little bit of a reaction when you said, but if the right person comes along, because I definitely no longer believe that there is a, or, and maybe you don't mean this, but I don't either. I I just meant like at that time. You just stumbled across the one one of several thousand right person options. I guess that's what I should have said. I think that's right. And I think that what marriage is changes at every stage of life. And we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the fact that if you choose to get married and have young children together, your marriage for some period of time becomes primarily a small business that is raising human beings. And you have to work enormously hard to have any ounce of romance around that. You can. But it has to really be a focus. And the problem with the vision of marriage that gets sold in America, I think, is that most of us believe that we get married and we're done. We're done Mm. with the work of it. Now we're just committed to each other and we're hanging out. And you promised me all these things. And so we're just going to I'm going to roll along and do my thing and expect you to still love me as much as you did when we said I do. And that's not how it works. And I can imagine that, you know, I'm 10 years into my marriage It's a totally different thing now that we have two small children than it was before we had two small children. Before we had two small children, it pretty well was like dating with a lot of convenience. (laughs) But then you start to make a whole lot of financial decisions together, a whole lot of financial commitments. Then you have commitments to these human beings that you introduce into the world. I can imagine and see that as our girls are getting older, what they need from us has changed. So our marriage has changed. When you and I launched this podcast, that changed our marriage, right? Mm. It's, it is not a static entity. And I think that's why a lot of people say, knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't do it again because I expected it to be a static entity and, and life is not so. Mm-hmm. Well, one uh, wonderful thing I heard about marriage on the Oprah show was not Oprah. It was Will Smith, who I generally find to be a little wacky. But I did like what he said about this. He said that uh, him and Jada Pinkett Smith, like when they got when they had their first child, they like looked at each other and very consciously said, like, the marriage we had before is over. 
this is a new marriage. We are joining a, we are recommitting to ourselves in a new marriage because that's what's going to, what it's going to be when we add a child to it. It's going to be a totally new relationship. And I thought that was a really good way to think about it. And like you had another kid, it's a new marriage. Somebody gets chronic illness, new marriage. Like somebody, kids leave, new marriage. Somebody retires, new marriage. Like, and I guess my hesitation when people kind of, crap on the institution of marriage generally is that I think that our society is too disconnected and I am hesitant to undo one major form of connection for so many people. And I think you're right, though. I think we tell people, you know, I think the value of that connection is that it's hard. The value of being married and in a in a long-term committed relationship is that it's work and it makes you a better person because you have to bump up against your own selfishness. And I don't really think the answer is to just say, um, it's hard. And I, and I, that's not what people are saying when they don't want to get married. That's not what I mean. But like, you know, there is this undercurrent of like, it's easier for me to live my life and do what I want if I don't have to drag along with me. And you're right. It is. But that's not the point. The point of being a human being is it is hard to be around other human beings, but it makes us better to do so. And um, it's not, look, as a feminist, I totally get, while particularly previously married women or women generally are like, what am I getting out of this? Like, believe me, I get it. Um, I just, I don't want us to throw the baby out of the bathwater. I think the institution itself can be improved and rethought. I think it still brings a lot of value overall. The best thing to me about marriage is remembering that it is a constant decision. And I think that's another thing that we could do better on in America because we make it one decision. You decided to got me, ma- you decided to get married. Now you're stuck. That's not uniquely American too. There are other cultures that feel that way. But I think for me, every time our anniversary rolls around, Chad and I joke about how it's contract renewal, renewal time. <laughs> and are we going to renew this contract or not? And, and there's a joke there, but it is, I think, really healthy. It's very valuable to me. And I hope it is to him too. To just remember, we could both choose other things and we're choosing to do this again. We're choosing to stay together. We're choosing each other out of a sea of people that we could choose. And there's something really beautiful about that. I think you can have a wonderful life whether you get married or not. I think you'd have a wonderful life whether you have a committed partnership with someone for the duration of that life or not. It was very interesting to me to hear people like Shonda Rhimes and Oprah say so unapologetically, and I appreciated that, you know, that's a lot of effort, and I choose to direct my effort elsewhere. That's what I took from that conversation. Yeah, I agree. So I wanted to talk about this piece. I love the modern love section of the New York Times. I'm such a sucker for interesting (laughs) modern love kind of twist stories. And there was an essay this week called The Other Woman Speaks. It was a follow-up to a 2016 essay about two people whose spouses were cheating on them. And the the husband of one of those couples goes to see a therapist. And in the therapist's waiting room, he recognizes another person waiting to see the therapist as the wife of the man who was cheating with his wife. Woo. So their spouses are cheating on them. And here are the two left behind spouses, right? Meeting in the therapist's office. A very unusual incident. I can imagine 
the therapist's heart exploding in the middle of that and wondering who was doing the scheduling here. But it was a really beautiful essay, and they both were reflecting on the conversation they had with each other. So he went over to her and said, aren't you this person? She said, yes. And they ended up going out for coffee and having a long talk. And they write each of them about how, write and speak, about how they really got something from each other in that conversation that they could not get from anyone else. And one of the things that really struck me, she said that he knew exactly what she was going through because he was going through it too. With some of my friends, they were so angry on my behalf and I didn't want the anger. Whereas Benjamin and I could express a wide spectrum of feelings. It was a safe place to do it and more productive. I thought that was so beautiful. And they both commented on how in that conversation, they were very attracted to each other, but that that was happening because here's this person who sees me in this very weird moment, this very difficult moment of my life and who can understand what I'm saying without me having to wrap it in all this context. And I just thought it was really beautiful. And what it has had me thinking about since I read it is how often we have the potential for moments like that with another person and maybe don't take it. It was so brave of him to walk over to her and say, aren't you this person? Let's talk about this. And I think we go into avoidance mode of these kinds of conversations all the time. And I guess it makes me just feel inspired to be aware of the fact that you never know when you're going to have the potential for a very healing or transformative or just comforting connection with another person. And it can just be that one discussion. Like they... They didn't fall in love and get married themselves or have some kind of movie ending. Like they went off and did their, had their lives and they both really valued this conversation. So I feel like this is a celebrity heavy episode, but that totally happened to Shania Twain and they got married. Like her husband, Mutt Lang, who was like her big producer, wrote all her songs, cheated on her with her best friend. And then that woman's husband and Shania Twain fell in love and got married. True story. I mean, good for them. So I bet that ha- I honestly, I bet that happens more than you think it does. Like even but, a short term relationship between the couples who were wronged, or the like partners who were wronged. You can see why it would, though, yeah. because I think the point here is when someone gets one of the hardest things that you're dealing with, that's magic. Yeah, totally. And that happens not very often in our lives, right? Well, let's talk about conversations that do happen very often in our lives. And by that, we mean awkward conversations with our family members over the holidays. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sarah, I thought we could start by me telling you about something really bad that happened to me last Thanksgiving. I'm so excited. So we go to Chad, my husband's grandmother's house 
for Thanksgiving. It's a couple hour drive. It's a very small family. They're lovely people. The grandmother is in her 90s and is still in really good health, but just says things sometimes that you're like, huh, that was a thing (laughs) she just said. And one of the things that she said last Thanksgiving to me was, you've gained weight, haven't you? (laughs) It was not my favorite moment ever. And when I look back, I realize, you know, I had such... In the moment, I just said, yeah, I think I have. And then I berated my husband for it for, you know, a good five miles <laughs> on the way home. And we and later I became able to laugh about it. But it was just one of those things where it was like totally unnecessary. I don't think she meant to hurt my feelings. It did hurt my feelings because it went to like something I was already dealing with and kind of struggling with. But I think that kind of thing happens around the holidays all the time from as trivial uh, a comment as like you've gained weight, haven't you, to really intense fallout over politics or religion or the way somebody's raising their child or who's getting divorced. And so we thought that we could... Talk about our tips on navigating terrible things like that. Well, I think there's two things here. I think you have to break up the situations. Okay. There are family members, I understand, in a lot of people's families who are narcissistic, who um, are borderline abusive. And so there is a whole spectrum of people in which if you – I don't think that you should feel any guilt about – eliminating them from your lives or putting down hard boundaries to protect um, yourself. People aren't always going to like your boundaries, but that is more than that is definitely your right. So I think that's like the first group. Like we have to like kind of put that in one box. The people who are purposely harmful and destructive. Then you have family members who, you know, what I'll call the Casey Musgraves, and we'll put this song in the show notes because it's one of my favorite songs ever. It's called Family is Family. Um, Just sort of, you know, they get on your nerves, but you love them because family is family. And that's like a whole other box. And I think the hardest lesson for me to learn and relearn and relearn is in the situations in which I am most annoyed with my family members is because... They are touching something that I am sensitive about either or exhibiting behavior that I exhibit in my bad moments because we're genetically related. I probably got it from them. You know what I mean? Like I have to just be like, you know, the cousin who is strident gets on my nerves because I'm strident, too. And I want to be the only strident one in the room. You know what I mean? I think as to all of those people, a foundational principle is. You should celebrate the holidays the way that you want to celebrate the holidays. I am firmly committed the older I get to the fact that guilt is not helpful. Mm -mm. And if you are showing up somewhere because you will feel guilty if you don't, don't go. Don't show up there. You should have the holiday that you want to have. You should have the Sundays that you want to have in your life. You should not be somewhere on Sunday because you feel guilty about it or because you feel obligated. Because that all leads to... The phrase that is the phrase of my life right now, compliance with resentment attached to it. And you don't need that in your life. And so whether that's drawing a boundary to say this person is wholesale not good for me and pushing them out of your life or just, hey, I don't need to go to seven 
cookie making parties. I'm going to pick one or I'm going to pick zero or whatever it is. You should, you should do what you want to do around the holidays. And then I think you're right, Sarah. There is a difference between people who are truly not good for you and people who you love and want to have in your life in some way who just step in it with you, you know, or who do you just push the buttons that you have. And I think that there are ways to kind of get yourself prepared for the button pushing and the stepping in it. And that that's something that we could talk about because we disagree all the time with each other and practice that, you know, over and over around some of the most intense issues in our country. (laughs) And so I thought one framework that we could maybe bring to this conversation is like separating out the things where we should really dive into it and talk about it versus the things that we should let go. Well, and here's to t- to bring a different perspective to how to answer that question. I'm going to I have a little bit different outlook in that I there's just a part of me. I think it's probably comes from my grandmother that when you say like you should just do what you want to do, there's part of me that's like, no. That's not, no, that's not what being an adult is about. <laughs> like at the holidays, there is a part of me that's like, no, there, there is not that you should never do what you want to do, but I do think that there are especially r- room in family interactions for a good, healthy dose of duty. Now, that shouldn't mean guilt, but it should feel like duty and responsibility have its place in our lives. For example, I've been really struggling with my grandmother, She, my paternal grandmother. She lives about 30 minutes away, which is like nothing, I'm sure, for a lot of people. But for me, it becomes um, a big deal to try to get out there. And my grandmother loves to deal in guilt. She is a guilter and a shamer. She lives for it. She's heavy on the, you should have come and seen me. Why don't, won't you come and see me? Don't you love me? Okay. So there was a part of me for long that I was just like, you know what? I don't have time. I don't want to. And she guilts me, so I'm not going to. And I just sort of rolled it up in this package of, I don't have to do this. And I've been feeling really bad about it. And I think I made the wrong call. And I think I need to prioritize seeing her because she is getting older. And it is my responsibility to her as her granddaughter to come and spend time with her. It might not always be the thing I need to do or want to do. And it might not be the thing that I have time to do. But, like, that's important, and I want to teach my children that it's important to show up for things, even though it's not what you want to do right then. It's why we go to church every Sunday, even when we don't want to. Like, I don't know. Not to sound like a baby boomer, but, like, I don't want to—I don't think we have a lot of room left, like, a lot of places in our society where we say, it is your responsibility to do this, and sometimes you're not going to want to, but you do it anyway. Am I being a jerk? I think we're talking past each other a little bit because— To me, it doesn't mean that you have no sense of duty or responsibility. It does mean that other people don't make every decision for you. And it means exercising that sense out of love, not out of guilt. It also means Well, that's what you're saying. You're saying, you're talking about like that it's really, it's making the same decision, but you're saying don't let it be. It's not always making the decision. It's probably not always making the same decision. I mean, look, we live very far from all of our relatives. And so your 30-minute drive would be a godsend in my life. And so sometimes we make decisions. For example, one of them, I want my children to have Christmas morning at their house. I want them to wake up in their beds and come down their staircase to their Christmas tree and have Christmas morning here. That is not what all of our relatives would choose were they choosing for us. But for us, that's what we want to do, and we're going to do it. Now, that also doesn't mean that we don't travel 
from basically the end of November to the end of December. We go lots (laughs) of places, but we make sure that we go to those places out of a sense of love. And when it just doesn't work, we just don't go. And if there is something on the list that we really don't want to do, we take it off the list. I think that you can really love people and also allow them to love you back and allow them to understand that whatever it is, traveling with small children is our thing. That's hard. But it can be lots of things other than traveling with small children. And so I am not interested in having kings in my world, right? And that's what it feels like to me when people say, well, I have to go to this. No, you don't. That person is not the king. You can make a choice about this. And everyone will be happier with the outcome if you make a choice that is like a true choice for you where you can go and be kind and enjoy other people. This is a good conversation. This conversation of where people spend, like how you make the decision to spend where they spend the holidays. The first thing I wanted to say is when you said what I meant was like, what's mo- is, is it motivating to you compliance or is it? Because I think you can feel kind of, I don't want to say bummed, but like you can feel a responsibility to be somewhere and that's fine and not be like super with bells on showing up. You know what I mean? But that is different than feeling guilt in a sense and like compliant but resentful. Like I think there is a spectrum of how you feel showing up to a place that might not be exactly where you want to be at that moment. You know what I mean? For sure. That's how I feel about Thanksgiving. I mean, I love Chad's family. My perfect Thanksgiving would be in my own kitchen. I love to cook. I liked my dishes. I like the way I cook everything. I would love to wake up on Thanksgiving morning and go down to my kitchen and have like a couple good hours with myself and some music making a Uh, beautiful dinner. And the parade and the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. You forgot that part. You do you. I don't need that in my life. But, you know, my kids could watch that like maybe in the basement or something. That's what my perfect Thanksgiving would look like. I'm not going to have that. But I've made a decision, not one that I'm resentful of, but just, you know, I love Chad. Chad's family is very small. If we're not there, it's a big chunk out of the party. I'm happy to still go. So I I don't mean being like a flake, like a YOLO, like every single day has to be totally entertaining and wonderful for me. But I also mean don't feel guilty and don't let – don't outsource the way your time is spent. Yeah. That's Well, and here's the thing. You know, when you were talking about that, I realized like – my grandmother um, has started coming to my house a little bit more than she was. And I think that's like what made me realize, like, you're being a jerk about this. Like, it's like it, even the smallest amount of outreach and sort of grace offered can really change the conversation and the situation. Like, I'm on this Facebook group called Law Mamas. And this woman was like, my sister-in-law gets on my nerves and she gives me these passive aggressive presents every year what's the most passive aggressive present i could give her back and i was everybody else like had all these ridiculous deals and i was like um Mm -hmm. on popular opinion i don't think you should do that i think you should get her the nicest present possible like break the stalemate kindness you know like just offer up some kindness maybe with a little bit of shame involved nothing wrong with that actually i don't like shame but you know what i mean like don't do that back and forth to each other like just once maybe try a different approach and see if it'll break the stalemate and maybe we could all just allow a little space for our different personalities. (laughs) Well, I think that is important, allowing space for different personalities, because I have noticed that with families, I think we do the thing with families that we talk about with politics all the time, where like everything becomes so important that it's like about identity. It's like, you know how 
you'll have a dish every year that that some people like yes. and, and somebody there's always somebody who says that is nasty right no it's not why are you being like that or the opposite of the spectrum like if it doesn't show up they act like their holiday is ruined yes that too everybody you, we're all gonna eat again it's cool you will be okay if that casserole did not make it to the party this year I think we just get so extreme about everything. That's why I feel like you do you is a life-giving phrase. Good for you, not for me, life-giving. We just don't have to agree on everything. And it's great. It's fantastic. But that whole where are you going to go is like a full-on team sport. So my husband's family, we used to alternate Thanksgiving and Christmas. And we broke the alternation, alteration, because... We live six hours away, and I made the decision that with three children, at least two of which believe in Santa Claus, there was no way I was going to be able to get the presents that I wanted to give them for Christmas down there without them finding out. I wanted them to be in their own beds. But it was very hard, and there were some hurt feelings, and I think they're probably kind of still mad about it because it became, I just, you know, what's stressful for me about those conversations about the, we want you here is it seems like, and it's not just in our family, but in lots of families, it becomes, we want you here because you're important to us. So important, we're really to damage the relationship that this is supposed to be about to begin with in order to maintain the time. Like, I don't understand how that happens. I don't understand how seeing you come becomes worth making you mad and hurting your feelings. You know what I mean? I totally agree with that. One thing I want to offer up is when you're having difficult conversations about where you're going to go, beginning with the phrase this year, Mm. because we do get very stuck, right, in our holiday traditions. And I think it's helpful for everyone to recognize, I don't have to do next year what I did this year. This year, we're going to go here. Maybe next year we'll do something else. And that that stresses me out, though. I love doing the same thing every year. Just you saying that is like giving me heart palpitations. I think you have to let that go. Because Mm, who knows what's going to happen between this year and next year. This year we're going to do this. And the other thing is to offer up other suggestions. My mom is having some very difficult health problems right now and has been really stressed about whether she's going to be able to have my children in her house before the end of the year. And I said, Mom... We can have Christmas in February. It's okay. We will have a time when we all come to your house and we will cook the food that you like to cook and we will have gifts with each other and my kids will play in their pajamas in your living room. And it doesn't matter when that is because we will do it. And I think just reminding people of what it's supposed to be about instead of getting so attached to particular dates and times can help too. Why is it that it's so hard to say how you're feeling, what you want with people that are supposed to love you the most in the world? Oh, that is a wonderful question. And I think it is because we all have so many unwritten rules with and about each other. And we're not, we're so afraid that if we break those unwritten rules, I don't know what we think is going to happen, but it's terrible. Well, and who wrote the rules? I think we write them all the time. Without ever talking about them. That's the dumb part. Without ever talking about them. Absolutely. We need to start talking about the rules. I think we have to talk about the rules. I think that's why saying, why does this have to be in December that we have this lovely moment? Maybe we'd all enjoy it more in February when we're not running from here to there. I mean, it's the most. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That's okay. I was just going to say, I think it's so unfortunate that 
this time of year, which is so beautiful. Whatever your faith tradition is or whatever you celebrate or don't, this time of year is so interesting and wonderful. And we've made it crazy stressful. And that's because of all these unwritten rules. And so we could choose otherwise. And I think we should. I heard once on a show I really enjoy called Casual on Amazon. Y'all should check it out. <laughs> um, that sounded like a, a fed-in commercial, but it really wasn't. I just like the show. Um, a really great thing I think about all the time, and I think it sort of fuels so many family conflicts. This They were speaking directly about parent-child relationships, but I think this can apply in a lot of ways, which is parents just want to hear thank you and children just want to hear I'm sorry. And I think that that is what sort of it's this river running under a lot family relationships. One person is saying, like, I just want you to appreciate what I did. And the other person saying, I want you to say I'm sorry because you were mean about this thing that's so important to you. You know what I mean? And then it just snowballs out of control because no one's really listening to the other person because their feelings are hurt. And that happens in all kinds of relationships. And the stakes are just emotionally more intense with a fa- with family members. And so, you know, it costs nothing, literally nothing to say you're sorry. Um, and it gets you so far with people. And it can just diffuse a situation so quickly if you just say, I'm sorry, I didn't understand it was that important to you. Because it's just like, the, like you said, there's all these written rules and all these expectations and everyone is pinned, ev- you know, so much on the certain casserole or the certain date on the calendar or the certain order of events. I mean, you just name it, the, the, tr- the stocking tradition, whatever it is, that becomes the golden cow for whatever family member. And when it gets touched, they want to hear, I'm sorry for touching your golden cow. Or they want to hear, thank you so much for the golden cow. And you just want them to say, I'm sorry, I was so mean about you touching the golden cow. You know, it would be so great if we could replace all of that with you're OK. You're yeah. OK. I'm OK. We're all OK. We were having a conversation the last time we were together in person, Sarah, about parenting and about how we have come to understand now that our parents just did the best they could with what they knew at the time. And we're just doing the best we can with what we know. And 20 years from now, there'll be stuff, there'll be new studies and new thought. And we'll think, oh, my God, how could we have ever done this? And we'll just have to say to our kids, look, we did the best we could with what we knew. And I think that if we could all kind of zoom out and just understand that we're all operating in these spaces, doing our best, we have different capacities with what our best means, but we love each other. I, I'm not going to love anybody. That is anybody. a hard thing, though. The whole just give everybody the benefit of the doubt that they're doing the best they can is it's a real struggle for people. It's a struggle for me sometimes because you just want to be like, that's your best. Seriously, I could do so much better. You know what I mean? But that's the point. They're them and you're you and not everybody has the same capacity or energy or emotional skills that they bring to the table. And so somebody else's best, you know. Your uncle's best might just be baiting you about politics. Like, that's just the best he's can do. And he's just trying to exert some sort of um, control or command of the situation and or even relate to you or for God knows what reason. So many men in my family think picking on somebody is the only way to express affection. So, you know, that's just the best they can do in that moment. Okay, so let's do that then. You've you've decided where you're going to go. You want to be there. You're there. And that happens. Someone baits you about politics or another difficult subject, the way you're raising your child, the church you attend or you don't, the person you're dating or not. And we got an email from a Pansy Politics listener about how in family conversations, this divide about what's racist and what isn't racist keeps coming up. 
And she said, you know, I feel like I don't know how to talk about people who voted for Donald Trump without calling them racist. And her um, boyfriend is saying, that's awful. You can't say that because that's not true about everyone. And they, they keep hitting this stalemate. And I was thinking about this with the holidays. There's all kinds of advice out there about how to navigate holiday conversations. And there's all kinds of advice telling you not to go into these subjects. So it's probably not surprising that the two of us believe that you should have conversations about hard things. I think a way to deal with that in the context of a holiday with a family is to kind of dive right into those unwritten rules and stop everything when it comes up to say, let's acknowledge what's happening here before we do this. Mm -hmm. Like my advice, if if somebody brings something up that you know is going to be really divisive is to say, hey, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think that's important for our country or important for our family right now. I would just like for all of us, before we talk about this, to agree that we love each other right now and we will when we're finished talking. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing in this conversation that's more important than the fact that we're all here together. And then kind of go into it. Like, I think you have to, I think we do need to start expressing some of the unwritten rules (laughs) so that we don't just keep clashing with each other. Well, and I think the other part is to acknowledge that you are... 90% unlikely to change the person's mind. That's not the point. You're not going to expose that, like just the perfect statistic or get them to read the right article that they're going to be like, oh, you're right. I don't feel different. I feel completely differently about this because politics for better or for worse right now is deeply embedded in identity. And that is incredibly difficult to change. Now, I think that there are two things you can do, which is try to sincerely understand why your family member holds this perhaps abhorrent idea to you um, and say, can you, you know, can you tell me more about that? Um, I see that you're afraid of something. I don't understand what it is. Can you tell me what it is? Um, Just ask questions and also to sincerely and in a vulnerable way express how you're feeling, how that issue makes you feel, not just why you think you're right. I agree with that. And I think that this is a good moment to go into your inner interviewer because calling someone racist is probably going to shut down any conversation and not lead to a jolly holiday, right, in any context. So I wouldn't use labels like that. I I would not be scared to say things like if you're talking about a whole group of people in a way that you don't see truth in to say, I don't see truth in that. So I think you can challenge people. But do it lovingly. I love you. That doesn't make sense to me. Or I know that I can't say anything that would change your mind about this. What would, what pieces of information are important to you about this topic? Mm, Yeah. Just try. I mean, it goes back to the same thing. Just be curious. Don't be defensive. If there's one thing you take, I think, from this podcast to go into family conversations, particularly about politics, be curious, not defensive. I think that's a really good note to wrap up on. Okay, next up, we're going to share a little closing thought. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
So today's episode, we are going to end with the Paradoxical Commandments by Dr. Kent M. Keep. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you will win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honest and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. The biggest men and women with the biggest ideas can be shot down by the smallest men and women with the smallest minds. Think big anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. When you spend years building, may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you do help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you have anyway. I really love that, and I hope we can all carry that into the holiday season. And until we talk with you again, keep it nuanced, y'all. If you enjoyed The Nuanced Life, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us in your favorite podcast player and follow us on Instagram at The Nuanced Life. The Nuanced Life is produced by Pansy Politics. Special thanks to Nicholas and Chad for all their help and support. Thanks to Dante Lima, who composed and performed our theme music. To support Pantsuit Politics and The Nuanced Life, visit patreon.com forward slash Pantsuit Politics. Mm-hmm.